Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. As consumers navigate rising inflation, out-of-stocks due to lingering supply chain and labor challenges, and contemplate the potential impact of their purchases on the environment and workers, they're more willing to push aside old loyalties and try new brands opening the door for savvy, small, and mid-sized brands to earn their business. According to Nielsen IQ's recently published 2022 Brand Balancing Act survey, about half of global consumers said that they're buying a greater variety of brands than they were before COVID-19. But the brands they ultimately support and the products they put in their cart still need to meet some basic criteria, including delivering on function, offering an emotional connection, resonating with their personal or cultural identity, and being within their financial reach. Unfortunately for many small and mid-sized brands with limited analytics budgets, pinpointing and delivering on those criteria can be a high-risk challenge, which is why Nielsen IQ has developed a new framework to help companies of all sizes evaluate opportunities and understand the hallmarks of successful innovation so that they can scale and grow. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Andrew Kreisis, Senior Vice President and General Manager of Nielsen IQ SMB, shares insights into the four pillars of this framework, which include preference, performance, innovation trend cycles, and meaningful differentiation. So the last three years have brought unprecedented change with emerging global concerns, transforming consumer habits, influenced by inflation and tech adoption, and of course, dramatic shifts in operating costs, all of which are impacting businesses' go-to-market strategies and approach to consumer engagement. And while change can be challenging, Crisis notes it also brings opportunities, especially for small and mid-sized brands that have traditionally struggled to break into the market, but which are more flexible than their larger, more established counterparts not just one disruption being, you know, the, the shift from in-store to online or anami world. Uh, you know, massive disruptions when it comes to supply chain, um, labor shortages, inflation, um, you know, expectations of consumers driving, you know, higher expectations of sustainability goals. All of that means as a brand, it is probably the most dynamic landscape we've seen in, you know, decades. Um, and then as it relates to brands, how they're dealing with this, so I'll kind of just pick on a few of these around um, inflation and, and su- supply chain shortages. Um, brands have been more and more challenged with the ability to get, you know, the key ingredients to their products. And so what we've seen is some brands have had to, in order to keep products on shelf, right, get more creative with packaging, um, change up package design, you know, that might not have the same cap or plastic bottle. Um, so being able to adapt on a local level has been an advantage for some of these emerging brands that are maybe less reliant on, say, um, the supply chain pressures coming from international markets. The other thing that we've seen around the inflation aspect is as consumers are more concerned, we're all feeling this, you know, when we go shopping, um, is that the local aspect um, of some of these emerging brands gives them in an ideal sense, and some of these do have this, the ability to better control their supply chain because they may be 
purchasing products or ingredients that are more local versus purchasing something that requires now freight that's gone up, you know, 5x in cost. Um, and so that means their input um, a cost ideally are less uh, variable to the international aspect. Um, when it comes to also managing inflation from a packaging standpoint, um, what we're seeing is small brands are also looking to have smaller quantities of items within their packaging. So um, rather than just uh, trying to go after a volume play, trying to find an offering that meets the wallet, um, rather than going after giving more, they're trying to you know, reduce the number and therefore reduce the price. What we're seeing larger brands do um, is really capitalize on economies of scale. Um, and so that's you know, taking advantage of the fact that they can buy in bulk, but they're also creating more products in bulk to give you value deals. Um, so you're, in theory, still spending more dollars, but you're getting significantly more product um, into your house. So a number of different varying strategies and how they're dealing with these like major disruptions that are taking place. The need for enhanced safety and social distancing during the pandemic also accelerated the adoption of online and omnichannel shopping, which Creases describes as one of the largest transformations the industry has seen in recent years and a major growth driver for small and emerging brands the shift to online shopping, um, in-store shopping, pick up from stores, um, click and collect, you know, every mechanism possible to purchase product um, has just exponentially pushed more towards uh, online or app-enabled uh, delivery. Uh, and so with that comes a totally different uh, shelf space. So when you think about the traditional brick-and-mortar store, um, that format was highly controlled um, by you know, larger brands that had the capital, had the investment, and, and bought the shelf and promotion space. Um, and as we went into COVID, right, the inability to go in person meant more and more people had to go to an online or app-based format. Uh, and in that process, you know, as you can experience, when you go through and search you know, products to buy, grocery products, whatever it might be, oftentimes you're searching um, attributes rather than specific brand names. And so you might type in something like organic milk or uh, organic peanut butter. And online, you're going to get a large number of responses that are all you know, rolling up um, into your feed. Uh, and that list there is pretty expansive. And so that has exposed in a very quick swipe the ability for someone to see side-by-side -side smaller emerging brands uh, with existing incumbents who might, you know, dominate the in-store in shelf space. Um, so that shift in buying behavior has enabled small brands to um, have a better uh, visibility uh, to consumers, and then it's allowed consumers also, as we've learned through this study, um, get a wider variety of products. Um, and so what we've seen is that SMBs or emerging brands um, have contributed to about 52% of the growth uh, in, in CPG in Q1 of this year. So even though these emerging and SMB brands are, you know, 30%, a third of the overall sales in the U.S. marketplace, as an example, they're contributing a higher percentage of growth uh, that was taking place this year. So it means, you know, they're getting more and more space in the purchases. And um, that's, you know, a great story for emerging brands at this time. To help small and mid-sized brands better seize these opportunities as well as identify other areas for growth, Nielsen IQ undertook a global data investigation 
into how consumer needs have evolved in the past two years and how industry should respond to acknowledge these changes. The outcome is a new framework made of four bases around which Croesus says brands can run to scale their growth. Um, the first base we refer to is called preference, um, where we lean into essentially data and understand what consumers want. So, so what do they want to see in the marketplace and what are they trying to, to purchase? Um, and four in ten respondents consider themselves to be what we call agnostic brand buyers. So there's a large group that frankly doesn't have a preference, right, four out of ten, which means they're open-minded and it's opportunity for brands to reel them in. And then six out of ten have a very strong brand preference in mind, whether that's a small brand or a large brand. Um, so think of that as preference is kind of the first space, and, and I think of it as white space opportunity for brands to tap into. Um, second uh, base here is thinking about the concept of performance and that brands should be regularly benchmarking their performance. So that's understanding which brands are setting you know, the pace for growth, understanding where smaller brands are outperforming larger brands, where there's opportunity to adjust assortment on shelf or online. Um, understanding that performance is critical to brands making the next decision um, and also convincing I think as investors as well as the retail community um, to buy into their strategy and their story. Uh, the third base is what we call the uh, trend cycle. This outlines how uh, open you know, consumers are to trying new things and, and how they can influence and nurture these trends. Um, and it also influences, we think about discounts that entice kind of new sales or, or excitement around a new brand. Um, so trending is definitely something that we focus on and, and what you can see and how you can go viral or build something that's unique. And then the fourth component is what we call uh, differentiation. Um, and that's really honing in on what's the signature component of this brand. So what really retains the hearts and minds of the consumers and builds loyalty over time and continues to increase that loyalty over time. Uh, and so those four kind of bases or pillars to, to growth is what we've seen as uh, a direct link to the you know, types of buyers that, that want to engage with some of these emerging brands. As Creases hinted at, the paradigm divides consumers into four categories, including the agnostic shoppers who Creases already mentioned, along with unintentional small brand buyers who prefer buying small brands, but only when it's convenient, exclusive small brand buyers, and exclusive large brand buyers. To make the most of limited resources, brands shouldn't waste time on targeting their core consumers. Rather, they should focus on agnostic shoppers or those who aren't already loyal. But to do this, they need to understand their preferences, which is why this is the first base in the paradigm. So based on survey results, Kreeza says preferences are heavily swayed by affordability and perception of value. Looking into some of the content from the survey, uh, the results speak for themselves. 93% of respondents are choosing a brand based on affordability. Um, and I don't think that's entirely surprising, but it's really also understanding that affordability rel related to value. Um, and so it's the perception of value of the consumer that they determine to be affordability. Um, and so what that means is that when we peel that a bit further, 62% of exclusively small brand buyers like knowing the story and consider that part of the value proposition behind the brand versus agnostic that's at 53%. Um, so that's telling about value base and what you define as affordable. 
Um, and then 47% of small brand buyers are less likely to buy a small brand once they've purchased a large global competitor. So there is a key element there of uh, fierce loyalty um, and capitalizing on some of the, you know, what I referenced, the white space early on, especially this brand agnostic. Um, when it comes to emerging brands or small brands, uh, nearly four in 10 consumers surveyed said they prefer to buy small. So there is a feeling that buying small brands um, offers, you know, a concept of greater good than supporting a national uh, brand. So there's momentum on the side of the trends around sustainability and other uh, for the environment or for uh, the world uh, good-natured brands, um, and that is allowing them to stay competitive. So that preference component is strong. Um, it's growing affordability is on the top of minds of pretty much everyone that we uh, engaged with, but it's also about affordability relative to the value. So if your value story is there and what they're getting from you, then they may actually be willing to pay a higher price, but that price is going to be a big part of that decision. I think an interesting takeaway um, on the agnostic side is that we, we dug into a financial component of analyzing shoppers. Um, and so we created kind of five financial buckets. There's a bucket on what we call the strugglers um, financially who are unable to necessarily buy what they prefer, the rebounders who are coming back but are very concerned, the cautious individuals, conservatives, unchanged uh, is the next bucket. So think of that as inflation, but they're going to continue to do what they're doing. And thrivers is they don't care. They'll buy anything as long as it's, you know, what they want. Um, and we looked at where, you know, exclusively large brand buyers and exclusively small brand buyers um, fit on that scale. 23% um, of agnostic buyers are considered strugglers. Um, so those who continue to suffer financial hardship today, right, in the midst of this inflation and pandemic. Um, so that's an important takeaway. And while four in 10 shoppers are agnostic, that opens a door for SMBs to gain shoppers. So knowing that a good portion are financially impacted um, and, and small emerging brands can understand that, thinking of how do you provide a offering a small product um, or a value offer that allows someone in that agnostic but struggling segment to enjoy a product that's, that's good for them or, or that they're excited about. That means you have to have your packaging and pricing correct. Um, the other element that I think for the agnostic is the SMBs playing into their strengths around the local angle, um, how they're better suited for dietary needs of consumers, or they're better for sustainability. Um, and what we found is that 82% of respondents associate a small brand as being a better product socially and environmentally. So there's a perception that if you're a large multinational brand, you haven't really shepherded this concept of product, you know, better product and environmentally uh, better, um, but that the emerging brands have. So I think that's opportunity to leverage that for these agnostic shoppers to create more long-term loyalty. While the scales may currently be tilted in favor of small and mid-sized brands, Creases noted that large companies are learning fast from their smaller counterparts and either innovating or forging partnerships accordingly through incubators, joint ventures, and even minority investments. But there are a few areas where Creases says small brands continue to hold the upper hand, as revealed in the second base of the paradigm, which is benchmarking performance. Brands are definitely challenged when it comes to competing with large brands, without a doubt. Um, but there are two areas 
that they're making considerable inroads, and it's in fresh produce and fresh meats. Um, so a quarter of shoppers from our study prefer buying small when it comes to fresh produce, which, you know, examples is a pretty significant number. So there is some uniqueness by categories that we're seeing some of these trends. Um, another top product type where consumers are, are looking for emerging brands is in the confectionery and snacks, um, and so about 15% there shift. Um, and then we're also seeing that about 44% of consumers um, also indicate that they have no brand preference. Um, so there's, again, opening to gain loyal shoppers. So I think it's, there's definitely categories that uh, shoppers are more open to these small emerging brands. There's obviously the incumbents who have the retail space, um, but we are seeing more of these, from a performance standpoint, stand out, and they're leveraging data to assess what markets should they go into. So a, a brand that might be in, in a, um, around the center store may decide to invest in center store. So someone who might be doing something in the fresh side thinks about how they can package something that could become a confectionery. Um, and so I think that's where you're starting to analyze some of the data and see progression across categories that are more favorable to SMBs. Creases hypothesizes that smaller brands perform well in these spaces in part because consumers are more open-minded about or actively looking for local brands, which they perceive to be able to deliver fresher products, and because the portion and opening price points tend to be lower, such as an individual candy bar or a package of cookies, and therefore the bar for this initial trial is significantly lower as well. With this in mind, he recommends brands in these categories lean into these strategies as they think through their packaging and messaging. To gain ground in other categories, Creases advises small and mid-sized brands to prove their worth and relevance to shoppers by offering products that are irrelevant but also new to help brands balance product development with other pressing priorities like price. The third pillar of the paradigm focuses on innovation trend cycle analysis. I think there's a perception, right, of shoppers looking to save money during inflationary times. It's clearly top of mind. I mentioned that a uh, uh, vast majority are concerned about price. But we would do ourselves a disservice if we didn't um, look into the innovation side of it. So um, from our data, about 4 in 10 shoppers are seeking innovation and wanting to try new things. So brands don't just have to deliver the same thing at a low price. It's how can I innovate? And then if I can capitalize on 40% of shoppers, that's fantastic. Um, they're looking for, you know, a thrill when they're, when they're enjoying this product. Um, and especially a large percent of respondents, actually a third of them, said that they love being the first to try new things. So the idea of just producing the same product for, you know, five years you're missing out on a third of the consumer base in this emerging landscape. Um, and so I think that gives an opportunity for SMBs to think of their shopper as they want to see a variety of things changing over time, and then leverage that to help ignite your brand on social media and, and generate organic you know, engagement. And then it's also, hey, now that I've got you interested in our brand, our mission, you know, the products and flavors, hey, we've also launched into this adjacent category, right? Another consumable product. Um, and you can bring your loyalty and followers to that, and they can be the first, right, to experience that and share that with their friends, share it with their community. Um, and that helps capitalize that on that third of respondents who want to be first to new things. Cutting-edge areas of innovation where Creasa says he sees building consumer demand include sustainable packaging and, as you likely could have guessed, plant-based. 
but in particular, plant-based products that are actually healthy. The sustainability of the packaging, um, I think, is taking kind of a front, uh, front row to a lot of these trends. So making sure that um, your packaging, whether it's a plastic can be recycled or if it's a cardboard or, you know, a glass, as an example, that can be recycled. And it's not just the product itself, but it's also the delivery mechanism. So is the packaging or the delivery service also uh, coming something that can be recycled? So if it's something that's, you know, frozen, is it a bunch of trash that you're creating or is it recyclable, you know, uh, a frozen container? Um, so that sustainability measure, I would say, and, and the packaging aspect of it is kind of number one. Um, the second aspect I would think through is some of the dietary ingredients. Um, we're seeing a huge trend around plant-based, but we're also seeing that plant-based has gotten so broad, you know, you know, such a market leader with products coming around, you know, all over their packaging saying plant-based, that plant-based doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. And so there's this balance between consumers pulling uh, desires out of brands, right? I want a product that does this, or I want to taste that, or I want to feel this way based on an ingredient, and, and brands moving quickly to innovate. But what you also see is sometimes that we over, as a brand, over market, um, and oftentimes, or can lead a you know, consumer down the, the path to thinking now, if something's plant-based, that means it's really healthy for me. So plant-based is, is one of those tricky ones where there are many things that are plant-based that are super healthy, but there's also some things that are plant-based that does not necessarily mean it's healthy. So overall, um, those two trends, I think, are front and center. Um, there's many more beyond that, but that plant-based um, and packaging that leads to sustainability are probably the two highest. Given the popularity and heightened competition around plant-based and other emerging areas, a key to success is offering meaningful differentiation, the fourth pillar in Nielsen IQ's platform for evaluating opportunities. As Creases explains, differentiation isn't just about a different color or flavor. It's about educating consumers on essential differences and tapping into different lifestyles or values by offering products that meet specific pain points and unmet needs. So differentiation is no longer just, you know, what color packaging do you have or do you have a different flavor? It's is there a different lifestyle that you're helping accommodate and are you owning that lifestyle? Um, so, again, whether that's sustainability, whether it's, you know, something that's ketogenic friendly, um, something that's helping someone with a allergy, those key um, innovations trends then lead to a, should be incorporated with a lifestyle brand, and that leads to this pillar of differentiation um, and, and leads you down a path of innovation. Um, and then what we're seeing is once you establish that following and the small brands are able to translate that differentiation to multiple categories. Um, and, and ultimately, it's kind of like being the first, but then also building the first following um, and helping transform the industry because ultimately that's what a lot of, you know, the third of people interested in innovations that are looking for that differentiation and loyalty down the road. Like when I think about from a concrete basis, uh, these emerging brands have done a really good job of tapping into um, ingredients that cause or trigger allergies. And so the free from, I'll just bucket them all, the, the free from bucket of ingredients. So finding uh, products that are free from certain characteristics, whether it's gluten, soy, peanut, you know, you can go through probably 100 different ingredients. And what we're seeing is more brands emerging and saying that they are free from X, Y, and Z and spit, uh, you know, it's about a different number of um, terms that allow 
consumers to understand how they're going to set their dietary expectations. Um, that's, I think, just one of the best things that's happening in the market because it's helping make people healthy. It's helping simplify the buying process, right? And so people don't, consumers don't have to go around reading every single back label and scouring it for five minutes to make sure that their you know, child or loved one can consume the product without having a reaction. Um, and it's easier because there's trusted brands now that represent those uh, diets or are very diligent you know, in their manufacturing process. Um, so that's one that I think, you know, concretely small brands have brought to the forefront, and then large brands are also recognizing those dietary restrictions as variations of their existing products. As helpful as this paradigm is for evaluating opportunities, it also highlights how daunting breaking into the market can be for small and mid-sized companies. But even though there is some heavy lifting, Croesus says now is a great time for small and mid-sized brands to carve out their niche and build a following. He recommends startups and emerging brands that are interested in learning more check out the full Brand Balancing Act report, which is available on Nielsen IQ's website. He also suggests exploring another of the company's platforms, Bizer.com, spelled B-Y-Z-Z-E-R, which focuses on democratizing data and analytics so that smaller companies with more limited resources can still build their story, understand the competitive landscape, measure their sales, and ultimately win in retail, both online and offline. With that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again for another installment soon. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.